0: You're listening to the light version of the Piece of Persistence. Visit Patreon.com—that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash Piece of Persistence—for complete access with double the content and zero ads. Hi, and welcome to the Piece of Persistence, the show where we seek to uncover the keys to happiness and success, one honest conversation at a time. It's a Thursday in New York and New England, and I'm your host, Abigail Wright. I'm so thrilled to finally introduce you to my friend from high school, Rachel Leventhal-Weiner. We've been trying to schedule this interview now for what feels like years. Rachel, thank you so much for finding some time to talk on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm thrilled. Rachel Leventhal-Weiner, PhD, is the Data Engagement Specialist at the Connecticut Data Collaborative, a public-private partnership advancing the use of open data to drive program and policy decisions. An educator, advocate, and researcher, Rachel runs the Connecticut Data Academy, a public education initiative designed to increase data literacy and expand data capacity in nonprofit organizations, state agencies, and community groups. Before joining the Data Collaborative, she worked for nearly a decade in higher education as an administrator, professor, and advisor. Rachel earned her Ph.D. from the Department of Sociology at the University of Connecticut and her master's degree in higher and post-secondary education from Teachers College at Columbia University. She writes about faculty and family life for the Chronicle of Higher Education's Vita, blogs at www.roguecheerios.com and co-hosts a weekly podcast on gender and gender stereotypes, which I love, called Boy Versus Girl. So welcome all Boy Versus Girl listeners. She is the proud, if not overjoyed, mother of two exuberant little girls who keep her on her toes. Rachel loves to cook most things from scratch, wishes she had more time to crochet, and is never going to give up on her dream of running a half marathon. She loves a good hike, a great cocktail, and time with her incredible husband of over a decade, David. David. Yay, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having
1: me. This is so exciting. Yeah,
0: it really is. I'm I'm just so happy to finally talk to you and to introduce you to everybody. Okay, you're clearly a big fan of data, so I have to know, what kind of data do you deal with, and is it really so hard to convince people that we should use facts to inform policy?
1: It's a funny thing to start with. So I'm trained as a mixed methods researcher, so that means that I know how to deal with quantitative information but qualitative information. And it's funny because when I first started graduate school, most people had me pegged as like a hard numbers person. I TA'd for a professor and then he was my qualitative methods teacher. And he was like, you have a gift for this. Like you should really be working with people as well. I personally work more with numbers, but I encourage the people that I work with to look at all different kinds of information, how they can use it in their work. Nice. To your question about whether or not it's hard to convince people to use fact, I work with a lot of nonprofit organizations, and many of them are, um, they live in an era right now where they have to show evidence of their work. That hasn't always been the case. I mean, funding is getting thinner and thinner for organizations. State budgets are getting thinner and thinner. And so they all have to show that they're actually doing what they say they're doing. And many of them just struggle to do that. So my job is to really help them look at, you know, what information they gather and how to use it to make really great decisions about where they invest their resources and their time and how they're having an impact on people in the end. So when we talk about data, oftentimes people feel like it's this like cold, really um, like abstract concept. But I always tell people most of the time with the work I do, data are people
0: Mm. and
1: the more we use data to inform our work the better impact we have on people's lives.
0: Oh, that's great. It's really interesting to me because not not only teaching but your life seems to be so much about raising awareness. Um and you you are definitely doing that in your podcast Boy versus Girl which I love. Thank you. Oh my god, I love it. And and you and your co-host Matt have a really great rapport and I I love your honest look at gender issues and stereotypes. What message or messages are you hoping to convey on your show?
1: I think it's back to the consciousness raising piece. You know, when I would teach, oftentimes you can never really tell if you were reaching anyone. Right. You were like screaming into the void and like no one is hearing you. And the best evidence that I had to know that I had reached someone were those notes that I would get, you know, a semester or two later where someone would say, I walked past the Harlem Children's Zone and I saw it and it's a real thing. Hmm. And I, it's so amazing and I want to work with them. Or, you know, this thing happened to me and it's just like what we talked about in class. It made me think about that time you said this, or I decided to become involved with this thing because of what we talked, like those are to me, it's like seed planting. Yeah. I don't have any direct message. My goal with the project was to really push back against these stereotypes that exist and try and unpack how and why we harbor them and how and why they persist. And I, I can't say I'm always the one who's like doing the consciousness raising. Matt is really funny when he raises things and I say, you know, I never really thought about that. I just kind of accepted that as like a woman who works in a particular you know, industry. Mm. And so I don't have like one central thought or message, but I think that the goal is really just continue to come up with ideas that, that people really, that resonate with people or that make them think. And the best feedback I get is from people I know in my community who listen to it or from emails from listeners that we get that say, I really never thought about it this way," or I always thought this particular thing, but I never really queried it for myself. And both of you said something that resonated with me and I still can't decide where I land. Mm, Yeah. And like, that's how we should all be really uncomfortable with lots of things all the time. It's true. Like if we sit around and we feel really comfortable, actually, if I'm like really happy and content, I can really only stay in that state for like a little while because I just, (laughs) I get too nervous. I'm like, why am I so happy about this? It doesn't make sense. Or like, I feel uncomfortable. With my satisfaction with this thing, because I feel like some other shoe will drop to disrupt it. But, you know, disruption, I think, is going to be necessary to make an equal place for both men and women in our society. And I think that the more we can push people to think about where do these norms come from? How do they persist? What kind of language am I using? You know, what kind of actions have I always been doing that might have really been like sending the right or wrong messages to people? Why did I never push back against whatever that person said in that meeting? Like, that's the kind of stuff that there's no one thing, but it's all of those things.
0: Yeah, without the awareness or dissatisfaction, it's it's impossible to raise everybody else's life satisfaction. Absolutely. Anyway, it, it sounds like you appreciate uh, also activity as a source of well-being between your love of hiking and also your desire to run a half marathon. But how do you make time? your busy routine. I mean, you're raising a family, you're working, you're doing a podcast. Like I I know how busy you are. How do you make the time for it?
1: It took me a really long time to actually prioritize it. So going back two years ago, I wrote about this for my my gym um, because I was so far out of any kind of routine that made sense to me that I couldn't and I was angry about it. And I needed to de-stress because it was a year of really uh, working in a really toxic place. And I'm a researcher. So I researched all the different things I could do. And I made a list. And I said, okay, I'm going to try and put all these things on my calendar and choose one. And it turned out that the one that made sense, which makes most people throw up, is this 5.30 Mm a.m. boot camp class, which (laughs) most people are like, Is that like CrossFit? What does it mean to be a boot camp class? 5.30 in the morning? Are you insane? But it has put me on this path to have a little more discipline in terms of how I use my time. So a couple days a week, I get up at 5 in the morning and I drive like 10 minutes away to this class. And it's a group of like almost a dozen people. They're all awesome humans in the world that I see a couple times a week. I probably see them more than some like close friends that I have. And we throw things against the wall and we... (laughs) Do jumping jacks and calisthenics. And I didn't know what kind of goals I had for myself, but I started to see strength come through in a way like physical strength that I didn't know I had. Um, I have told people I have not lost one ounce of weight since I started, but I feel way stronger than I ever have. Amazing. Um, I climbed a rope earlier this summer, Wow! like a, like I, got on a rope, and I climbed like 20 feet in the air. I don't know if I could I don't do know. that. I don't think I could. I didn't know that I could. That morning, I was like, I, I tried once. I got halfway up. I wasn't going to try again, but my other friend in the group ahead of me did, and I said, I've got to give it a shot, and I did it. And then I was like, maybe that was a one-off, and two weeks later, I did it again. I mean, these are things that I never would have imagined that I could actually do. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, you get a little addicted to that sort of adrenaline and those endorphins that you get from exercising. But there's this like really nice community. And so I've prioritized it. And so that means that, you know, I have to go to bed early the nights that I go to the gym. And um, that also means that I know exactly how much time I have in the evenings to spend time with my husband to get things, you know, I have a bunch of side hustles. So like to get that work done or to wrap up my day or to spend time with my girls. And there's no like one secret way, but I just I had to prioritize it and say, this is important to me. I'm a better person because of it. Like I have more energy. I sleep better. All of those things come from prioritizing that. And then I feel up for things like, um, if it's a Saturday and we just want to go for a hike, it's not like, oh, can I do this? Can I hang? It's like, no, I I'm totally down because I'm physically able.
0: Wow. Uh, you know, I kind of want to benefit myself <laughs> from this research mind of yours and, and the way you've kind of like hacked your schedule, um, Because I struggle sometimes with the stress of maintaining and furthering my career while producing the show and trying to make a living in the city. And you keep a lot of plates spinning. So I'm wondering if you have any time management tips for me and the rest of our audience?
1: I think it's really important. I don't do this in a formal way. I aspire to do it in a formal way, but I do try and keep about two weeks at a time in my head. And so I'll look ahead for two weeks and I'll say, okay, what's coming up? What evening commitments do I have? What commitments do my, like, I have to, you know, my kids' schedules obviously impact my schedule. Uh, my husband's now doing a lot more service to our community through two different commitments that he has. So that impacts my ability to do things. Seeing family, seeing friends, like I kind of look ahead and see, okay, what, what looks crazy? What looks manageable? What has to come off my plate? What has to come on my plate? And then I try and hold those details, those two weeks at a time in my head. And I try not to push myself to look too far out because then I get really overwhelmed. Um, like I can schedule, you know, a weekend visit from someone or something down the road, but I know what's happening for the next two weeks and saying no is one way to manage your time. Mm -hmm. I'm at a place now where I do a lot of things for which I don't necessarily make money, but it's planting seeds and spending time. And I did that also in years past. And now those things are turning dividends for me in terms of things that are paid. So if I was going to invest in a side hustle, you'd want it to be paid. Yeah. Um. And then just like really being honest about what your physical needs are and when you have to flex those or not. Because I think like sleep is so important. And when we manage our time, we don't really factor in how much rest we need. Rest is predicated on like, you know, did you take that late night thing or do you have this early morning thing? And you know, what other people's schedules are impacting yours such that you don't get enough rest and then you aren't sharp enough during the day. And then it just like compounds over time. Yeah, I'm a checklist kind of person. When I said I don't practice this, like I, I like to check in with myself on a Sunday night and say, okay, what's coming up? Um, what didn't get done last week that still needs to get done? What's like, you know, most emergent, what's least urgent and sort of like just constantly be toggling between things. But I don't have an app. I don't have. I don't have any one straight way. Oh, I will say though that I set very strict resolutions for myself this year. Things I wanted to do monthly, quarterly, and yearly. So you know, like I really wanted to prioritize exercise, and I really wanted to make sure I'm doing something active four times a week. So and I track that because I want to make sure that I'm taking time for myself. I really want to make sure that my husband and I have private time, like at least one night a month, which I know sounds like that's not enough time, but like at least one night where we are fully no no responsibilities for children. We're other people. And we have plenty of time together. We're actually really good lately about like, oh, you want to grab coffee before you head into work? Oh, you want to have breakfast while the kids are at religious school? Like We're better at that now. Um, But like one night where we can really just be like, we're here in each other's presence, (laughs) focused on each other. And then really saying to ourselves at the end of the month, hey, we never did that. Like the month was nuts. And this, you know, because this current month was like a lot of things came up that have been unexpected. We're still in the middle of it. But, you know, it may not happen. And that's okay, like to be easy on myself and say, okay, so you didn't do that this month, but like be reasonable about your expectations. Um, So I think like that long term goal setting can be really useful, but it's helpful to say, I want to do this this many times in this year. Yeah,
0: it's like um, using your values to inform your schedule. Yes.
1: And then also, really, you know, at the end of the day, like time management is something I think I do well for maybe like 10 days at a time. But, yeah. you know, it's okay. Like, I did a great job last week, and I'll likely do a great job next week. But, like, this week was not the week for that level of organization.
0: While you're being reasonable about those expectations, what does success look like to you at this point in your life?
1: Such a fun, it's such a funny question to me because if you had asked me this question a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, I probably would have had really different answers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and David and I are talking about this a lot because we're both in a place where – At least with our professional work, but like our paid work, we have some flexibility and autonomy and a schedule, unlike we've had. So, when I was an academic, like a full time academic, and he used to work for a a media company, we basically worked like 24 7. I mean, or we had like a 24 7 kind of like work cycle happening in the background. And his parents, whenever we'd visit, they could never understand why we were constantly checking email and checking in and checking our phones. And in the last year, because we both shifted into different professional roles, we don't have that anymore. And at first we were like, are we failures because we work 8.30 to 4.30? And then we were like, no, this is like the best we've ever had it. You know, we can literally all like convene on the house at, you know, between five and six o'clock and like the unpacking backpacks and like getting dinner ready and doing all these sort of like normal dinner time kid things. And I'm asking about his day and he's asking about my day and we're like actually talking to each other. And we're in this like stage of life where we keep saying we've leaned out, like we've leaned way out um, status and leadership is not like aspirations of that are not driving what we're doing and they may come, but I think the nature of both of our work is really going to lead us to a place in the next couple of years where we'll be part of like a dispersed workforce. I think we won't even work for like brick and mortar places. And so right now success is really just like having this peaceful life where sort of like compensated well for our time. And we have Mm -hmm. flexibility and autonomy and that we have some, some level of security and, and our health is good, like, to me, that's totally success. Like, if you'd asked me, you know, five years ago, I don't know if that would have been my definition. I really don't know. I think at the time I was being sold this bill of goods that was, like, success is a tenure-track job at whatever cost it takes. I never felt it. Like, that would be, like, the end-all, be-all for me. And now all the time I've invested in leaving that industry is paying off for me. So Mm -hmm. right now success is, like, peace and comfort and Like being, being able to have like an easy time and having fun and like not having like a toxic work environment, like not feeling sort of toxic stress, which we both were in for a couple of years and it was really terrible.
0: Well, that sounds like a wonderful change.
1: It is. It really is. We're, we're, we're doing really well right now. It's good. That's wonderful.
0: I ask this question of everyone and I think for you, it might be the hardest uh, to narrow it down to one thing. But if there were one thing you'd like the world to see differently what would it be?
1: I I mean, it's, it's racism, like for sure. There's just no, right. I mean, it might, this might be informed by the time, like the time of the world we're in right now, but right. it's at the root of so many things. I mean, it's at the intersection and the root of so many things. So I think like that to me, I've done a lot of reading this year, um, like narrative history of slavery and narrative history of war. And, a lot of the fear and the struggle that exists is at the root, it's some sort of fear of other people um, that's rooted in race and ethnicity. And I think like if I if I really wanted people to see something differently, it would be that because I think part of what I what I've done in my teaching, not necessarily about data, but certainly about in sociology is asking you to like assume the perspective of someone else. And when you can do that, you might not have so much you develop to develop empathy, right? Like, yeah just to understand someone else's perspective, even if you don't always agree with my take on it or my political views, just to even try can inform so many future interactions that you have. And I think that's the hardest part for people. And I think especially around issues of race and racism, that's like, it's impossible. And I think we're at a really, especially in education, like all the research that, there's so much research out there about what's good for kids in schools. And at the end of the day, like my belief is that desegregation of, of neighborhoods and schools is the answer but that let's talk about a solution that it took decades to set up it will take centuries to undo. Yeah. And so I think like that if I had to pick one thing but that's a big thing.
0: It is a big thing. I mean how how do how do we start?
1: I think engaging I think engaging honestly with our history is a, is a really good place to start. I think that I think you and I had schooling in that topic at a time when we hadn't really faced our most recent modern history honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think that our our teaching of history is not honest enough. It's not brutal enough. And I think that given we that we can play video games or we shoot people up, we can talk a little bit about the terrorism that is slavery. And that's at the root of a lot of current real misunderstanding, disagreement and violence in this country. Yeah. And I, I think that's where you start is like as a person really engaging with that, it has been uncomfortable to read some narrative history of s- sort of antebellum South, right? Like it's been hard. Yeah. but I think I've been surprised and embarrassed by my lack of understanding of that whole era of history. And I'm willing to admit it out loud. And I think that understanding that informs all kinds of, you know, confusion that that I might have had over why relationships between different groups of people are the way they are. And I think that's one place to start is just teaching yourself or challenging yourself to be uncomfortable with the idea of it. And then, then the next step is really like using that information and finding ways to insert that consciousness into everyday interactions that you have. Like, I often think like, is the answer just like quitting my job and going to protest? And I don't know if that's the answer. <laughs> for, like,
0: well,
1: cause it feels obvious, right? Like yeah. structures and institutions need to change, but change is long, hard fought. And we need sort of people who have a, a an informed perspective about those matters all over in, in like private conversations, public spaces, you know, parents, citizens. And I think like it starts with just facing it.
0: Yeah. And I think in your job, you're much more likely to change things than uh, just by protesting all the time. But who knows?
1: It takes a level of patience, too. Yeah. That's the other thing, because I mean, some a lot of work that I do involves people who work in um, housing and housing is uh, housing and schooling is where we see the most sort of like deep seated, Uh, cloaked racism that you could possibly imagine and just the way we talk about things. And people don't mean it. They really don't mean it, but they don't realize it. And I think like that realization is the first step. So pushing back gently is that very first step respectfully. And that's that's a really hard thing to
0: do. Yeah. Thank you for that. Do you have any other advice for us? You know,
1: the one thing I tell myself often is that I have to be easy on myself. A lot of the goals we pursue or the things we're trying to do in life require transformation about yourself Of your mindset, of others around you. And some of those things are like, are hard fought. And on the weeks when I feel like I came up at the end of the week and I have no boxes to check, I feel like, what was it all for? And then I think to myself, oh my God, but I had such a fun week. Like, I did this with the girls and I had this, you know, we had this awesome dinner out and like, oh, all those people came over and that was like filled my cup. And I just think to myself, those were never on the list to check off in the first place. And, if I come up short because Mm -hmm. all those things happened, then that's great too. And I think I just need to be a lot easier on myself than I allow myself to be because I hold myself to really high standards. I don't know where those standards came from. Um, That's just my way of being in the world and it doesn't work for everyone. Some days I feel like I'm in a super great rhythm. I just one thing to another to another. And then some days I'm like a hot mess. And on those hot mess days, maybe something awesome happens. And it's like I wasn't even thinking about it and things just happen more easily. Like sometimes you can push, push, push to make something happen and it just requires you like relenting for something to happen. So I think being easy on yourself is very hard to do. It's hard advice to take, but I think it's really important because at the end of the day, you know, like world peace is not achieved by one person alone it's achieved by like all lots of people working together so you're one hot mess day like I'm not convinced it's going to make a big impact on whether we achieve world peace today or tomorrow
0: so you're really meeting yourself where you are and and I'm I'm so happy you were able to meet us I am too we are today thank you Thank you so much for being here and sharing yourself and sharing your thoughts. It's just, it's wonderful to talk to you and and to be able to, to have this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks
1: for including me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And. And thank you all for joining us on The Peace of Persistence. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share us with a friend or review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, YouTube, IMDb. Every share and review or even rating helps new people discover our show. Also, if you think you know anyone who's extraordinarily and genuinely happy, who's had some success in their lives, if you think they'd be a good fit for our show, please let us know at peaceofpersistence at gmail.com. And in the meantime, subscribe on patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N Dot com slash peace of persistence for full access or you can find our light episodes on youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you next time on the piece of persistence and join us for more great conversations and content to help all of us find the happiness and success in our lives but if we forgotten what really makes us sing and dance at night it's the people around And our dreams that lift us up from underground.